Well, good morning. Well, welcome to all of those who are joining us online this morning and on site as well. Really glad that you've chosen to come with us today, because as you've heard, uh, this is indeed our kickoff cook-off. I think it's our it's the fifth, I think fifth time we've done this in a row, and we've uh, had to take a little break for uh, COVID years. But hey, it's back, and we're looking forward to seeing who... Uh, who has the best savory and the best sweet pies this year. So glad you're here to join that with us. I'm looking forward to not only eating some of that after the service, but also having a chance to connect with many of you who uh, perhaps we have a chance to reconnect after being away for a little while, whether it's being away over the summer or for a longer period of time for the season we've just come through. Uh, also, there's many new faces here too, so I'm looking forward to uh, putting a face with a name later on as well. For those who are back for the first time, maybe after summer or maybe a bit longer, this might also be the first time you're seeing the completion or the near completion of our renovations that have taken place. And I just want to say that I am personally uh, absolutely overwhelmed with the number of volunteers that participated in this, the, the hours, the effort, the, the financial contributions that were given towards this project. I, I, I really honestly don't know the words to express how grateful I am on behalf of the church and the leadership for how much the congregation has invested in making this become a reality that we can all enjoy going forward here. So why don't we just take a moment and, and please join me in thanking all of our volunteers who, who volunteered and helps out with this. Absolutely. It's so wonderful. Our, our infant's room is, is open uh, as of this morning uh, to care for the needs of infants that exist, uh, you know, changing, nursing, napping, those sorts of things. That's open, and obviously uh, you can see other things in the foyer there as well. The staff and I love how it turned out. Doesn't it look really good? Yeah. Now, it's absolutely truthful that I believe it looks amazing, but I asked you that question in that way on purpose. Because what I just did is I just asked you a leading question. I don't know if you noticed that, but I asked you a leading question. And, and that's the title of our new sermon series that we have for this fall kickoff. But what exactly is a leading question? Well, a leading question is technically a question that's asked in a way that leads a person towards a desired answer. So when I said, the staff and I love how it looks, doesn't it look great? What are you going to say? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's awful. I just told you what I'm looking for for an answer. It was a leading question. I, I truly do believe it looks wonderful, but I asked it that way in purpose. You see, when we ask these leading questions, it leads the person towards an answer, but, but it's not just about the answer. You see, leading questions can also be similar to what we refer to sometimes as rhetorical questions. And, and the similarity between them can be understood as we already kind of know the answer we're looking for, but we're trying to stimulate thinking that goes beyond just the mere information of the answer. Because we're not just trying to lead a person towards an answer, we want to lead them towards deeper thinking about the meaning behind that answer. And maybe you've run into this before. I know there's one time when, when I got pulled over. I know, I got, I got pulled over for speeding by the police. Nadine is not surprised, right? <laughs> I like photo radar because I don't have to have an encounter with the officer now. But I, I, I got pulled over once, and he said, it took me a while to catch up to you. Do you know why I stopped you? And, and he was trying to lead me with that question into kind of self-incriminating myself, going, yes, I know I was doing excessively over the speed limit. But if you don't know that, I'm not about to tell you that. So I'm like, no, I'm not sure why you pulled me over. But, but, but he asked me a leading question. 
Or if a parent is downstairs and they hear some noise taking place, it's awfully noisy up there. Do I need to come up there? It's a leading question for kids to check themselves on whatever is taking place. And then all of a sudden they respond with silence, which can be more terrifying than the noise that's actually taking place. Or there's the classic question off the TV game show, who wants to be a millionaire? Very much a leading question. Uh, pick me, please. That would be wonderful. But we have these leading questions that exist. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some leading questions that all lead us towards a deeper meaning. And we talk about a deeper meaning, a deeper meaning that stimulates deeper thinking about our relationship with God, our, our, our view of Jesus, and the world in which we live. But there's another reason that I refer to this series as leading questions. And that's because we're going to be looking specifically at the very first questions, the lead-off questions, the very first questions that were asked by an individual in the Bible. Have you ever paused to think of the significance of, if it has any significance, of, of the meaning behind the fact of what is the very first question that God ever asks? What is the very first question Jesus asks? What is the first question Satan asks, humanity asks, Paul asks? Those are the questions we're going to be looking at in the next five weeks. What are the first questions, the leading questions that individuals in the Bible ask? And what is the significance behind those? You see, in the Bible, God masterfully uses questions of all types to guide and to encourage people. And I really honestly pray that this series will not just provide you answers to those questions. But it will compel you to think more deeply and to reflect upon the question of your relationship with God and where you currently find yourself in that relationship. And so we begin today with the very first question that God asked in the Bible. Any guesses what the very first question God asked is? Any thoughts? You can just call it out if you think. I'm up here on the platform. Where are you? <laughs> I knew Phil would jump into that one. <laughs> yeah. A few of you called it out. Yes, the very first question God asks in the Bible is, where are you? And he asks it of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And it, it takes, this Garden of Eden, this question takes place in this, this moment, this place of perfect order and relationship for them. But if we track the story right from the very beginning, all the way back to you know, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see that actually this, the story unfolds as this process of God bringing order out of chaos. We, we see that there is the chaos of, of the darkness and the formless and the tumultuous pre-created state. And then by the creative will of God, he's spoken to existence, all of nature as we know it. And, and from chaos, we find this perfectly tuned, balanced ecosystem in life in which we now today enjoy. This movement from chaos to order. And it included this garden paradise where the highest creation, the creation of humanity, Adam and Eve, walked and talked in perfect harmony and community with God. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And Satan comes to Adam and Eve and suggests to them that God is holding something back from them. And he tempts them to gain access to that thing by, by eating of this forbidden fruit that they look at and they go, it is pleasing to the eye and, and it, is, it is possible to gain wisdom from it. And even though God had forbidden it, God had said, I've, I've created this perfect paradise, this perfect harmony and system where, where you can dwell, you can live, you, you can consume, and, and, and we can walk in perfect harmony and community, but just, just don't go there. Just, just don't eat of this particular tree. 
but they find themselves at that tree. They find themselves there, and they, and they step out of bounds, and they eat, and they sin. And in that moment, into God's perfect creation, chaos was reintroduced. Chaos was reintroduced as Adam and Eve for the first time realized, wait a second, we're naked. And shame, the chaos of shame entered into the world. And they sought to cover themselves up. And then they heard God coming and through the garden calling for them. And they realized that they had guilt for the first time. And they ran and they hid because of the guilt. And as God comes walking in the garden, he knows something's up. This is the first time he's ever walked through the garden and Adam and Eve have not come out to greet him and to meet him and to, and to fellowship with him. And so God knows something's up and so he asked them the leading question, the very first question that's ever asked of God. In chapter 3 verse 9 he says, the Lord God called out to them, where are you? Did he really not know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. He knew very well where they were, and he knew very well what was happening and why they were hiding. If he really didn't know where they were and he was trying to play a game of hide-and-seek, it would have been the shortest game of hide-and-seek in history. He knew where they were. He was not asking for information. He was calling out to make Adam think, to make him think. God asks this leading question in order for Adam to assess, where are you at in relationship with me, Adam? Where are we at right now? What's going on? Where are you? Where was he? He was hiding. He was hiding because of the shame that he felt. He was hiding because he had the awareness of the imperfections and, and the faults of the choices that he had made. When I think of this, I, I imagine so, so many of us, all of us, have had this experience of standing and looking at ourselves in a mirror. And it doesn't matter how much good there is on the outside. It, it doesn't matter how much good there is on the inside. Don't we have this tendency to focus upon the problems? Don't we have this tendency to, to focus upon the parts we don't like? When we look at ourselves in the mirror, it doesn't matter how much good exists within or without a person. We focus on the problems, the stuff that we don't like, we, and we have shame about it. And Adam's hiding because he feels shame. He's hiding because he feels guilt. He's aware of his rebellion, and he doesn't want to face the music. Reminds me of a time when I was 12. And I went to a sleepover at a friend's house. There was, there was four of us who were sleeping over at this friend's house. And we decided it would be a good idea at 1 a.m. to sneak out and go skateboarding. So my mom and dad aren't here today. They're in Ontario, so I can tell you this story. It's fine, right? <laughs> so we decided to sneak out at 1 a.m. and go skateboarding. And so we skateboard down to this little shopping complex behind this grocery store. And we're, no, we're not doing anything bad. We're just, you know, out in the middle of the night skateboarding this back lot. And all of a sudden, we see flashing red and blue lights. And we're like, they're after us. And so we run and we hide. And we found this, this little, little uh, wall we ran down beside. And it was this wall that went around this big industrial trash compactor. And the five of us, like sardines, just squeezed between these two walls and the motor of this trash compactor. God, nobody turned it on. Between this trash compactor, just riddled with guilt. We're out in the middle of the night, and our parents don't know where we are, and the cops are after us. And, and we, just, we just we sat there for an hour and a half, just huddled into this little corner because we could just see the lights were just flashing. And we were just waiting for the next moment when the officer was going to come down to arrest us and be like, where are you? We were waiting for that voice to call, where are you? Never happened. After an hour and a half, the lights went out. 
and it got all quiet again, and we came out, and the, the cop didn't even know we were there. He had pulled over a drunk driver, <laughs> and he was dealing with that guy. But we, I'll never forget that we ran and we hid out of guilt, and we just, we had to get away. We had to hide. We didn't want to face the consequences. Nobody could know. I've, I've, I've carried this for 35 years, and I'm telling you, this is like confession to all of you. <laughs> there's, this, there's this guilt that causes us to hide. Makes us run and hide. We all know this feeling because we all know what it feels like to do something wrong and then we realize it and that shame and guilt descends. We felt like a saint and now we feel like a sinner. And our thoughts begin to condemn us. So I gotta hide from God. I gotta hide from God's community. Maybe not literally. Maybe not literally hide, but but you can think of a time when perhaps you experienced that feeling of going from saint to sinner. Your thoughts condemn you and you maybe hide in other ways. Or maybe you feel like it's too hard to pray. So I'm going to hide from God by not praying because he doesn't want to hear from a sinner like me. Or, or maybe we hide from church because if I just go be around all these people, I'm going to, I'm going to feel guilty. Or, or maybe we hide from not reading the Bible because if I read the scripture, it's just going to remind me and it's just going to condemn me from what I already know. So we hide from those things. But here's what I want you to know. God doesn't want to cause further shame and guilt in our lives. God is not in the business of rubbing your nose in it. Remember the story of God. Remember the story of the Bible, as I, as I mentioned a while ago. It is a story of bringing order from chaos. And God comes seeking, and God comes asking this question, where are you? Not because he doesn't know where Adam and Eve are, but because he knows the chaos that Adam and Eve are existing in. And he wants to restore order to what they're experiencing. And God wants to bring order to the chaos of your life as well, to, to your life too. And we know that God has revealed this truth to us in Scripture. He, he revealed it when he sent his son Jesus into the world to save us from the chaos of our sin. And we, we read about this in John 3. In, in John 3, beginning in, in verse 16, a familiar verse, we're going to keep going beyond that. He says, for God so loved the world, this world that was in utter chaos and stuck in sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Should be freed from the chaos to find eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the purpose. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But whoever, sorry, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the God, of God's one only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Light is available. But people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. See, God calls us to come out of hiding to come out of the darkness of sin into the light. When we feel that turmoil in our minds and our hearts and our lives and we think to ourselves, God will condemn me. If I make this known, if I confess it, if I own up to it, God will condemn me. You know what that is? That's the enemy continuing what he started in the garden. That's the voice of the enemy continuing what he started in the garden trying to speak chaos into your life and to keep you from coming into the light. To keep you from finding order to the chaos that you feel. Jesus came into this chaos of our world to save us and to set us free from sin. And when we talk about finding new life in Jesus Christ, 
When we talk about finding this ongoing experience of new life, not just a moment, one moment in time, an ongoing experience of new life in Christ, this is what we're talking about, is when he saves us from the, when he saves us from the chaos of our sins, when he brings order to the lives that seem like they're in chaos. You see, God asked this leading question of people to help them assess where they are in relationship with him because he wants us to come out from hiding. He wants us to come out from hiding so he can restore order to the chaos that exists in people's lives. Isn't that amazing? But there's one other time, one other reason that I want to touch on today as to why sometimes people will hide from God. And, it's, and he asks a similar question to us, actually, when this happens. We see this in Scripture. And sometimes it's not the shame and the guilt that causes people to hide from God. Sometimes it's something else. Some, sometimes it's fear that does it. And we actually see an example of this uh, in a well-known story from 1 Kings chapter 18. A classic story where, where Elijah has the standoff with the priests of Baal. And they're holding, they're kind of holding their own, you know, cook-off competition. To see, you know, which God is more powerful. Which God, they can, they can build these altars and they can put a sacrifice on there and see which God can, you know, can send fire down and consume the offering that they put on there. And so if you're not familiar with the story, there, there's these priests of Baal. There's 450 of them. And they're dancing around, and they're chanting, and they're calling out to their God, and they're, and they're cutting themselves, and, and nothing's happening, except they're just getting very, very tired. And so Elijah starts to mock them, going, well, well maybe, maybe a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Try and wake him up and see if he'll do something then. And obviously nothing happens, because they're, they're calling out to nothing. And then there's Elijah, who stands alone. And he calls for, for his altar to be doused in water and a moat to be built around it to consume the water, to make it even more difficult to possibly consume with fire. And, and then he humbly and he faithfully prays. And God brings fire down from heaven. And it consumes the sacrifice and the, and the wood of the altar and the soil and the stones and the water's all sucked up and gone. And, and there's this incredible victory in this moment for, for God and for Elijah. Can you imagine it? it you know, you can read the whole story in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, but can you imagine the, the scene and, and Elijah standing there going, who's next? Like, he's confident and he's bold. Like, I could take on the world right now. Who's next? God shows up like that? That is a faith builder. You will feel like you can do anything in that moment. You are invincible. Kind of. Because King Ahab, who's the king of, the, of Israel at the time, he was a bit of a wimp, and he folds quickly over the defeat of his priest. But his wife Jezebel, uh, she was a force to be reckoned with. And so she sends messages to Elijah, who's feeling pretty powerful, pretty mighty, pretty confident in, in God's hand at this point. She sends a message saying, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And in that message, it says in, in, in chapter 19, verse 3, that Elijah was terrified. And he ran for his life, completely forgot the victory of God. And had this, instead he was just riddled with fear for this woman, Jezebel. He ran 200 kilometers. He was as far away from where he was as he could possibly go. He ran 200 kilometers away. And he hides in a cave and he pouts. And he's like, God, just take my life. Isn't it amazing how powerful fear can be? He is on the heels of this profound experience of, of God's incredible power and presence and reality. It is building his faith. It is building his confidence and it is undone with one wave of fear. It's all undone. 
God was so real and so powerful in that moment. But then he took his eyes off God and he, and he was caused to cast his eyes upon the chaos of the world instead of the confidence in God. And it causes him to wander. It causes him to flee and suddenly he has run a long way away. Now, it don't want to be too hard on Elijah because he is considered one of the great prophets of the Bible, absolutely. And I think he's not the only person who has experienced great moments of victory in God, but then the very next moment is riddled with fear and failure. I've known people in my own life. I'm sure there are stories in my life that I can recount for you where I felt so strong in, in faith and in prayer. There's people in my life I think of who, who I look towards for those things, and I consider them mentors and people that I look up to, but, but then I know that a health concern descends upon them. Church conflict swells up in their churches. One of their children makes a, a dangerous decisions for their lives, and, and all of a sudden their, their faith and their eyes that were so firmly fixed and steadfast with confidence upon God, they, they drop from him to the, to the chaos around them. I've also seen this happen in many common other ways during the season of COVID. Maybe you can relate to this, or, or you know somebody who, can, who has experienced this, where, where many people of faith who, who previously had so faithfully attended worship services and, and participated in group ministry and, and served the community and served within the church. But then the world changed, and all of a sudden fear came in, fear of, of health. Fear for family, fear that we might lose loved ones, fear for what's going to happen to my job, how am I going to pay my bills, fear for how do we do church now, because it's all changed, fear for what does it look like around the house. But even if it wasn't fear that you felt, you absolutely felt chaos. All of us felt the chaos of those things that was brought into the order of our lives, and some wandered. Some wandered from the familiar patterns, and they find themselves now struggling. Others completely withdrew, and they actually, in a way, hid from God. And now, as we find ourselves in a season where some semblance of normality is starting to return, it feels like they're 200 kilometers away, and they don't know where to go. You see, it's in a moments like this, when God comes asking his questions, and that's what he did with Elijah. He came asking his questions for Elijah. He came in, in chapter 19, verse 9, he comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Which another way we can understand that question is, where are we at? Like, like why are you hiding? Why, why are you hiding from me, Elijah? And in response, Elijah doesn't really give him an answer. He simply recounts the chaos that he's fixated on. God, the people are rejecting you and they're not listening to me. And my life is being threatened, and, and, and there's nobody but me. He just recounts the chaos. He's so fixed on the chaos. He's lost sight of God. He's lost sight of, of all of that. And he's focused upon the challenges, which are very real and very difficult. But by no means are they the whole story. And so God responds to him powerfully. God responds to him by saying, let me remind you who I am. And in verse 11... He's writing in verse 10 of, of chapter 19. He says this. The Lord God said, go out and stand, go out of this cave and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is about to pass by. And then this great and powerful wind just tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks 
but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And, and after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came this gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here? It's in the midst of the fear that caused Elijah to wander away and sent him into hiding. God could have entered into that and tried to, tried to overwhelm his fear with more great acts of power. With wind that shatters rocks as it blows them against the mountainside. With earthquakes that split the ground. With fire that consumes all things. But God had already revealed his power. He had already done that at Mount Carmel. That wasn't the question. He had already revealed his power. But God was in the whisper, which was more powerful to the fear. He was in the whisper, which was more meaningful to the wayward Elijah. And don't miss this. Why is it so powerful that God was in the whisper? What is the significance of the whisper? He was in the whisper because you can't hear a whisper unless the person whispering is close by. And so God is whispering to Elijah, I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. You can trust me. You can do this because we're going to do this together. Come out from hiding. Walk with me again. Let me bring order to your chaos, is what he whispers to him. God asks these leading questions to help people assess where they're at in relationship with him. Because he wants them to come out from hiding. But he wants them to come out from hiding and know that he is with them. That he is for them. And that he loves them. He wants to restore order to the chaos. And now we find ourselves in September. As the ministry season's rolling around again. And a lot of people have felt a lot of chaos for a long time. Especially this year. It's an important question for us to consider. See, we've been committed for the last couple of years to actively doing ministry as much as we're able, but we have not been able to do a full launch. You know what the last time we did a full fall ministry launch was? It was 2019. 2019 was the last time we were able to do a full launch. A lot of disorder. A lot of challenges have existed since then. And as we've talked to people recently and through that time, we hear things like, it's been a long time. You know, many people just feel out of sync and, and, and the rhythms of participation and service have just all been thrown off. We hear from people who have said, no, I've just been online for a couple of years and, and I'm wrestling with the question of, of where do I fit in? How, how do I best re-engage again? And we encounter people who say, you know what, I, I just pulled right back. If I'm honest, I, I really wandered off, and I didn't know how to maintain my relationship with God without the church community. And now I feel this distance. There's this distance between me and God and, and between me and his people. Now, whatever the past may look like for you, whether it was strong or if it was sputtering, if, it was, if you were present or if you were away, if it was ordered or if it was chaotic, I want to invite you to hear God's word to you as he calls you by name and asks you the question today, where are you? 
This is the question that calls you to assess where you are at in your relationship with him. And he asked the question not because he wants to condemn. He asked the question because he loves you. And because he wants to ensure you that he is close by you and he wants you to be in a close, growing relationship with him. And so because that's what he desires for you, he asks you, where, where are you? And to those of you today who perhaps feel like you are in that season of shame and guilt because of past choices and the thoughts inside of you betray you because they say God will just condemn you. Hear the promise of Jesus in John 6 where he says, for those the Father has given to me will come to me and I will never reject them. He will never reject you. As God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, he longs to walk in that harmony and community with each of us. All of us have sinned. It's true, but we do not get rejected because of our sin. We do not get condemned because of it. if we bring it to him and confess it, he is faithful to forgive. He doesn't want to bring more chaos. He wants to bring forgiveness and healing and peace into the midst of it. To those who may be plagued by fear, fear of life, fear of other people, fear of situations, maybe even simply fear of tomorrow. And you know it's caused you to hide in certain ways. I want to remind you of what King David said when his heart trembled, when his life was threatened, when he was aware of the consequences of his sin and it led him to hide and to try to cover them up and to, and to pretend that he could just move on from them. He prayed in Psalm 32, he says, Lord, I don't need to hide from you. I need to hide in you because, Lord, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me with songs of deliverance if I will hide in you. You see, when unconfessed sin, when, when secret habits, when, when unresolved conflict is allowed to go on and unaddressed and kind of pushed off to the side or swept under the rug, there's something inside of us that wants to keep it there, wants to keep it in the dark, that wants to keep it hidden. But Psalm 32 reminds us that we're not to hide from God. We are to hide in God. And to those who may have wandered, whether you meant to or not, but you find yourself now at the time of, of this new ministry season and wondering what is available, what's possible, where am I at today? I want to leave you with a story. A story of a father and a daughter who went on a wonderful Saturday afternoon trip to Toys R Us. As they walked into the store, they were holding hands and and the father knew that as they walked through these doors that this wonderland of toys was going to be too much and his daughter would want to run away. So he held her hand and, and he said, stay close. She said, okay. But it didn't take long. And sure enough, after a little while, the temptation overwhelmed her and her eyes just went from her father to, to the wonderland of toys and, and she pulled away. And she, she saw different things and eventually found herself in this place where they had one of these wooden trains on a table just the right height, and just the right size, and she could, she could run the train around, and it was in this nice little area, this table on this carpet, kind of on the edge of the carpet were these tall bookshelves with books in this perfect little hideaway just to play with this train. Then after a few minutes, she stopped, and she looked around, and all she could see was the, the train and, and, and the books and then the fear set in. I'm all alone. And then the guilt started to come. I ran away. I ran here. And then the shame. I, I promised I wouldn't do it, but I, but I did. And as tears started to come to her eyes because of the fear and the shame and the guilt of this precious little girl, she heard a voice say, Sarah, 
And she looked up over the shelves, and there was her father, who had been leaning on the shelf the whole time, no more than six feet away from her, just watching and just waiting for her to lift her eyes and to see him there. And he called out into her name, and she saw him, and she ran to him. See, your heavenly father has never taken his eyes off of you either. You may feel like you have wandered. You may feel the shame, the guilt, the fear. Any of those things happen to all of us. But he's never taken his eyes off you. He has never left you. He has not forgotten you. He has never stopped loving you. And if you feel like you've wandered in the last while and you need to come back, have confidence in the promise of James chapter 4 where it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. So this season at West Meadows, I want to invite you to join us as we all find new life in Jesus Christ in new ways. As we all invite other people to find new life in Jesus Christ in other ways. And if we find ourselves or others around us who are in sin, we can lead them to forgiveness in Christ. If they are hopeless, we can show them hope. If they are in grief, there is joy. If they are currently in an okay place, there is a deeper experience available. And if they find that there is chaos in the world, we can bring them into the sanctuary of God and find order. It doesn't mean we'll have a perfect, problem-free life, but it does mean and it is promised that we will never be alone in any season of life. So as we consider that in our own lives, in our own places where we are, I just want to invite you if you'd stand right now. And we're going to sing this closing song right now, and I invite you to, to, to sing and to reflect upon your answer to God's question. The first question God asks in the Bible, where are you? As we start this ministry season, consider what is the next step for me to go deeper in my walk with Christ, to, to re-engage where I have pulled back, to confess what needs to be confessed, to step out into the light, to serve those around me and those in the community. It's a question that helps us to assess where we are in relationship with God and how we can walk deeper with him in the days ahead.